Take your Bibles, if you would, and, and turn to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Now, the Bible tells us that many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And we know that that is true, but I think the Lord uh, and his grace makes it more evident than uh, in our lives some weeks than in others, that we can make all the plans that we want, and yet God is going to carry out his purposes. And uh, this week has been somewhat of a difficult week, not only schedule-wise and emotional and in other ways as, as well, but uh, it is just such that I, I didn't feel a good conscience. I was prepared enough to bring to you Hebrews chapter 6. And so this morning we're going to take sort of a, a, a sidestep and, and look at Psalm 62 uh, this morning as our text. So uh, listen now as I read from God's Word. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. The only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Please take a moment, if you would, with me and bow your heads that we might pray together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, that each and every Lord's Day that we could gather together and to look at your word. Lord, we know that you have sovereignly ordained that today we might look at this psalm and pray that you would use it to encourage your people, that you would use it, O oh God, to, to strengthen us and, and to turn our eyes upon you. Uh, we thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning, as I, I preach from Psalm 62, I want to preach a sermon entitled, When God Doesn't Seem to Be Enough. And I know that for Christians, it just seems wrong sometimes to think that God is not enough. But if we're honest with ourselves, we all have felt that way in the face of difficulty. I mean, think about it. No one expected to be where we are today when uh, January 1st, 2020 happened. But now uh, we wonder what the future will look like, right? What, what lies before us? Will we ever return to what we had before? And if so, how long will it take and what will this path look like? 
And then even in the midst of that, to ask ourselves, how are we to respond when the days seem so long and it seems like we're living the same day over and over and over and the future seems so unknown? The English poet Alexander Pope wrote, he said, hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man never is, but always to be blessed. So there is sort of that eternal hope that we oftentimes talk about, but where does a person turn when that hope seems to dry up? Have you ever felt that sense of, of hopelessness? Have you ever been up against circumstances where you had a lot to lose? And you didn't know how to face that difficulty? The thing that oftentimes keeps us going in such times is hope. Now, human hope is an, an interesting thing, if you, if you think about it. And if I could just make a few observations as we consider this topic today, um, I appreciate your patience. You know, hope is something that we typically all have. All of us typically hope in something. It could be our own abilities, it could be in the circumstances that we're hoping for. It could be in God. But our hope is only as good as what it is that we're hoping in. In other words, the object of our hope. And so that's one aspect of human hope is that there's an object of that hope. But there's also comes with that expectations. You know, in other words, when we hope, we always hope for something. Hope that something will happen, something, hope that something won't happen, whatever it may be. But oftentimes, that's why, because of those expectations, why this hope is uh, oftentimes accompanied by haunting questions of the reliability of the thing that we're hoping in. You know, those, those creeping moments of doubt where we contemplate, have I set my life on the right hope? You know, will the object of my hope be able to deliver that which I think? And, and so not only can we as we look at our hope, we can, we can wrestle, we can vacillate, we can struggle, and we can even be misguided because we may put our hope in the wrong object or our expectations may be unrealistic in regards to that object of our hope. Um, it is important for us to understand that we all wrestle with that. Even as Christians, life doesn't always make sense. You know, the, the things that we're going through, it's hard sometimes to see how they are wise or to see how they're good. And sometimes it's very difficult for us to see God's faithfulness and his love. And so this morning, I think we ought to ask ourselves some questions just to begin to think about our own hearts. You know, what does it take for you? What does it take for me in, in some way to abandon our hope in God? When does God drive you to despair and function as if God is too small? Because so often in our lives, we, we come upon crisis and challenges and difficulties that oftentimes just cause our lives to feel like it's sort of spinning out of control. And we not only don't see how things are getting better, sometimes we're even in a place where there doesn't even seem the possibility for things to get better, whether it be over family problems or health issues or financial circumstances or our employment. You know, one thing is common in all these things that sometimes there's just a sense in which hopelessness seems to take us over. But it's here that God wants to speak to us in Psalm 62. He wants us to understand that he understands that struggle. 
Um, and that's the struggle that this psalm is seeking to address. And if you don't get anything else out of Psalm 62, get this. If you don't hear anything else that I say, hear this. That the psalmist is making God his only object of hope, of trust. That God is our only object of trust. The psalmist is not trusting in something other than God. He's not trusting in God and someone else or something else. His trust is in God only. And that is what gives him his confidence. Now, it's interesting as you look at Psalm 62, uh, there's uh, uh, the word alone or only, depending on your translation. And some translations use both. But it's, it's the same Hebrew word. And it's used six times in just these 12 verses. So that's quite a lot of repetition. So that ought to stand out to us that he's wanting us to see that he's talking about God alone. We see it in verses 1 and 2, 4, 5, and 6, and, and verse 9. And, and he's wanting to instill in our hearts the sense that this is a psalm of trust, regardless of the circumstances and the issues of life. And so the psalmist lays before us three things this morning, the first of which I want us to see is simply a statement to trust God exclusively. Now, of the three points, this is the longest, so don't get worried. They want to go on for a little bit. But he makes a statement to trust God exclusively. We see this in verses 1 through 4. But, but listen to David's testimony of the trust that he had in the Lord in verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. So David says that, that he is, is, is silent before the Lord. That, that silent waiting that he's talking about here in the psalm is really a silence of the will. It's a, it's a sense of resigning ourselves to God. It's an acknowledgement and acceptance that God is God and we are not. And so we can trust him. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you want to look there, Ecclesiastes 5, 2, uh, the writer of this book uh, really echoes the same thought. He said, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You see, there's sort of a sense of, of humility that, you know, rather than us just rushing in and, and speaking to God and, and you know, uh, whether it be with our mouth or with our words and sort of giving our opinion, we should recognize really who we are in light of who God is that he is the great sovereign Lord who rules over all things in heaven above. And we're really his creatures. And, and he loves us and he values us, but there is, ought to be a sense of humility. Um, it sort of reminds me of the prophet Samuel when he was a little boy. One of my favorite accounts in the Bible is where Samuel is in bed at night and he's getting ready to go to sleep and all of a sudden he hears a voice. Well, of course, it has to be Eli, the priest in the next room. So he gets up and he runs Eli, and he says, what do you want, master? And he said, I didn't say anything. And that happened a number of times before Eli realized that the Lord was speaking to Samuel. And so Eli, this priest says, when you hear the voice again, Eli, say, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. And that's a great description of, of the posture and the attitude that we are to have as we wait silently with the Lord with exclusive confidence in him in our times of difficulties. Don't let the loud voices of our own will drown out the voice of God's word. 
We must bridle our impatience and be careful to act on something before God directs us to do so, to not be willing to wait for him, to keep our wills in check and to look to God to guide us. Some of us are so impatient and so prone to want to just do something. As a matter of fact, I hear Christians say that all the time. It's better to do something than nothing. And that may or may not be the case. But God calls us to sort of submissiveness to him and his will that's laid out in his word. Now, that I understand that what I'm suggesting and what the scriptures are suggesting here is a very sobering place to be. When, when all the theory and the stuff in our heads means that nothing uh, um, is useful there unless it is a willingness to follow the Lord, to trust God. Uh, waiting in silence occurs when we're more ready to listen than to speak or to act. And, and, and such a posture involves a great amount of trust and reliance upon the Lord. Because it's not our own plans or our own forethoughts that we follow, but it's simply the ability to wait silently on the Lord alone. Our confidence comes from the Lord, who's the object of our faith. Alexander McLaren, one of the a great commentator and preacher as well, he, he made the point, though, that as David is speaking here, he said the trophy of the psalmist's victory is the word only or alone. In other words, what allowed David to be silent, to wait silently before the Lord, was because he recognized God as his only hope. And, he, and that's something that we as Christians in this day and time need to, to uh, realize. You know, our problem is not that we don't trust God. I think sometimes that's how we sort of frame the issue. Do you trust God? Do you not trust God? And the reality is we can trust God, at least in some part, and as Christians, we do do that. Uh, we trust God for our very salvation, our, our, our eternal lives. But the reality is, do we trust God only? That's sometimes where the rub comes in, because it means sometimes that we want to add something to that which we trust. Uh, to um, that we, excuse me, that we want to add in something else to trust in as well. As one early Bible teacher put it, he said, they trust not God at all who trusts not him alone. To say that we trust God, but to not trust him only is really like having one foot maybe on solid ground and the other foot on something unstable, something that's, that's moving. Sort of reminds me when I was younger, my dad would like, I would go fishing with my dad. We'd love to do that. But sometimes dad would say, hold the boat. And so you got one foot on the ground, which you know the ground wasn't going anywhere. And you had the other foot on the boat so you could put tackle in or people could get in the boat. And you know, even though I had that foot on solid ground and, and I knew that the earth was not going to be shaken or moved, I did not feel very stable in those times. And it wasn't because I wasn't uh, footed on solid ground, it's because I wasn't only footed on the solid ground. And that's what happens when we seek to trust God and something else. We may have a solid footing on him, but we also have it on something that is shaking and movable. And so what happens is in the end is we end up not trusting God at all. But the psalmist reminds us here that God is very trustworthy. Look at verse two. Uh, he, he, he gives many descriptions of, of God 
and his trustworthiness. He says, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. It's, it's been said that the power of faith is not in the exercise of faith, but in the object of faith, much like our hope. You know, it's, it's not enough to have faith in faith. We have to have faith in something that is reliable, in this case, in the Lord. And why was the psalmist willing to wait silently before the Lord? Because he understood that God was his rock, his, his boulder, that, that huge thing that was incapable of being moved. He was his, his stronghold. And as a result, he, he wasn't shaken. And the reason we will not be moved, the reason we can have confidence in is, is when the object of our trust is immovable. The Lord is a good object of our faith. And that's the testimony that, that David gives. Now, you might look at this psalm and say, okay, that's great that David feels that way. My life's just not that simple. It's not that easy. I really don't think David understands what it is that, that I'm going through. But I would suggest to you that maybe we don't understand what David was going through. Look at verses three and four. He said, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him? David's speaking to his enemies, to those who were surrounding him. He said, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. You know, a few of us actually have probably gone through the things that David has gone through. There were evil men who were surrounding him who would say kind things to his face, but behind him, they were seeking to destroy him. They wanted to not only overthrow him as king, but they wanted to take his very life and, and kill him. And, and while I don't want to downplay anyone's struggles or difficulties that they're going through, probably few of us have suffered to the point of people seeking to kill us and take our lives. And yet that's what, what David was saying here. And here David is, is reflecting on the evil of those surrounding him, the people who were trying to knock him over like they might destroy a tottering fence. Now, I've come to appreciate fences a lot more since I moved to Kansas. Um, at the house we live in now, we don't have a privacy fence, but we used to, and it was an old privacy fence. And I would stand, I'd look out my back door, and I would watch that old fence shake in the Kansas wind. And I was thinking, this fence is no match for the Kansas wind. And there were days where I woke up and entire sections of my fence proved that that was true as it laid on the ground. And, and that's what David is saying here. You know, he said, I stand in the face of my enemies and I am like a tottering fence to them. They could easily just knock me over and, and destroy me. And I am no match for my enemies. And so I want you to understand as we think about David's statement of confidence, that he makes a statement not out of ignorance. He makes a statement understanding what it means to go through the trials of life where, where the circumstances could cost you more than you think that you could bear. And what does he do as a response to that? First, not only does he make a statement of his exclusive confidence in God, but we find himself uh, uh, commanding himself. And so he gives an encouragement to trust God exclusively. So not only a statement to trust God exclusively, but an encouragement to trust God exclusively. Look at verse five. He said, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. You see what David is doing here is he's commanding himself to do the very thing that he said he was doing in verse one. David said that he was silent before the Lord, but he's like reminding himself. He's like, yes, but I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at the struggles. I'm looking at these things that are coming 
against me, these people, these circumstances, and, I'm, and, and I am tempted to take my eyes off of the Lord. And so he commands himself, he exhorts himself, he encourages himself to keep his eyes on the Lord. Because David knew how weak the faith of a man can be. And so David commands himself to continue to listen to the Lord and to be reliant upon him. And, and he says again where his hope comes from in the Lord in verses 6 and 7. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. He repeats again. See what he said before. He goes, on God rests my salvation and my glory. My, might, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. David uh, not only commands himself and speaks to himself, but also to the people of God as well and commands them to do the same. Look at verse eight. He goes, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. He, he is so confident that he encourages others to find their peace and their security and their safety in the Lord. But he says to not only find our confidence in the Lord, but at all times. Now, what time in life, what circumstance in life is not included in the phrase at all times? Well, obviously everything. He's talking about everything in our life. We are to find in God your safety and your confidence, no matter what the circumstances are. Of course, this is much easier for us to, to say or to hear than to do. But I think that too often when, when we hear and we think that trusting the Lord will, will uh, I, I think that when we are thinking about the difficulties and the struggles that we have, we, we think that trusting the Lord will change the times or the circumstances of our life. What I mean by that is this, if I trust the Lord, then maybe the person that is making my life miserable will change. That may be what we're really looking for when we say that we're trusting the Lord. I have this person at work that's, that's really hard to live with or a neighbor that gives me great difficulty. And I think if I just trust the Lord, the Lord will change those circumstances. Or if I trust the Lord, the disease will go away. Or Lord, if I trust you in this and fill in the blank, then some acceptable uh, expectation that we have about the circumstances will come about. But we need to be reminded as we read in the book of Ecclesiastes that God sets the times. That as Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything under the sun. Every time, every circumstance, every issue of life is overseen by God. Not a thing in your life is, is uh, out of God's ordained plan. And so God makes all things beautiful, whether it be times of weeping, times of laughing, times of gathering, all these things are beautiful. And, and the only way we're going to know the beauty, the only way we're going to believe that that is true, that all these times are appropriate and beautiful, is as we trust the Lord and find in Him those times our confidence and our security and our assurance. So how do we do that? Well, the psalmist tells us that we are to pour out our hearts before Him. Let it out. Don't hold in those things that you are struggling in. So this morning, as we, as we think about our own lives and we ask God, what is going on in my heart? What is consuming my thoughts? What are, what are bothering me? What are the desires of my life? We are called to pour those things out to him 
and to trust him and to give those things over to him. That's the encouragement that David gives to trust God exclusively. But then finally, in verses 9 through 12, he talks about the reason or the logic for trusting God exclusively. And, and the logic's very simple. He said, trust the Lord because it doesn't make sense to trust anything else. Trust the Lord because it doesn't make sense to trust anything else. Now, that may sound rather simplistic, or, but brothers and sisters, it's, it's in many ways, if I could use the word foolish, maybe, to trust in anything other than the Lord. And, and hear what I have to say before you react too much to that word foolishly. But, but if it is true that what determines the value of the faith is the object of that faith, if, if uh, hope, what's important, is the object of that hope, then, then as you look at the things that men trust in, and things, and, or excuse when you look at uh, the things of this world that men trust in, or their trust in God, it, it, you see that it, it's sort of a no-brainer as to who we are to trust in. And David sort of lays this out before us in verses 9 through 12. Look at verse 9. He said, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set your heart, set not your heart on them. You see, he's saying here at the beginning of this in verse 9, you know, whether people are rich or poor, or whoever they are, they're really just like a breath. We're here on this earth just for a number of years, and then we are gone. And, and it's interesting, I think, that while he talks about a number of things that we as people might seek to trust in, that people are the very first things that he mentions. Because I think that is the human instinct to trust in people above all things. Whether that is, first of all, to look to ourselves uh, for the solution and to try to solve our problems ourselves, or whether that is to run to someone else and to ask them for advice or help. Now, it may not be in person. It might be over the internet. It might be on a blog, it, you know, it, wherever. But it is oftentimes that we will seek that help from others. But the psalmist reminds us that such a thing is, is foolishness in one sense because humanity is but a breath. Now, take and compare that description with what he, how he describes God. The words he uses that God is immovable, he is secure, he is our stronghold. And, and tell me in the midst of circumstances that, that tempt us to despair, which is the most appropriate object of our faith? A breath or a stronghold? People or God? And so therefore, that's why I say, it seems foolish to trust anything other than the Lord. Because even if we were honest with ourselves and we looked at our own lives, as, as many of us uh, oftentimes trust and put our hopes in our own confidence, we have let ourselves down many times. And we know, if we really think about it, the weakness of our own lives. But never has God lied, never has God let his people down. David continues, though, in verses 11 and 12, and he says, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. 
What do we need when we're in times and circumstances of our lives of facing great difficulty? Well, here we see um, two things. First of all, the power of God and the mercy and the loving kindness of God. When we are in difficult times in our lives, oftentimes we feel powerless. We feel unable to, to address some issues. And sometimes God brings us so much to the end of ourselves, we, we almost uh, are beyond despair. And because we see such lack of power and ability to address that. But, but we see here that God is a God of great power. And he is a God, as he describes himself here, of steadfast love. That word actually in the Hebrew is chesed, which refers to God's covenant faithfulness to his people, his, his covenant love. And if you know anything about God and the salvation that he has provided in Jesus Christ, then you should be rejoicing in these two great attributes that, that David is speaking of in regards to God. And you, you might ask why? Well, think about it, because there would be no salvation for any one, if God did not possess both these characteristics, both power and compassion. If God had power, but he lacked compassion or mercy, he'd be able to save mankind, but he wouldn't be inclined to do so. And if God was merciful, but he lacked power, then he might desire to save us, but he wouldn't have the ability to do so. But fortunately, God is both all-powerful and all-compassionate. And therefore, he's reached out to save us and has been successful in doing so through Christ. And so this morning, as we think about brothers and sisters, the struggles in our lives and the things that we are going through, if, if God has shown us such a great salvation, will he not give us all things that we need? Paul says in Romans 8, 32, who, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. God doesn't just save us and then say, okay, well, I hope you make it to heaven. You know, he gives us uh, everything that we need so that uh, we, will, we will make it. And as we go through the, the circumstances of this life and the difficulties of this life, God is there. Our, our trials and our difficulties come in different sizes and levels of intensity, but they are real nonetheless. And God in his grace speaks to all of us in the midst of our struggles. And he reminds us that he is powerful enough to address whatever we face and loving and merciful enough to bring us comfort in the apparently contradictory things that often face us in this life. Now, God, I, I think I must say this. I think sometimes when we think of God's mercy though, we might mistakenly uh, get our expectations in, in a place in which uh, God has not promised to meet all of our expectations. That's the point that I'm trying to make, you know, in terms of him being merciful. And so when he doesn't meet our expectations, maybe in a trial and a circumstance, because oftentimes we come to the Lord, not only with our burdens, but with a solution. But sometimes God has something greater he's seeking to do. And, and he has promised not to, to merely change our circumstances to fit our desires. But instead, he has promised to give us endurance and give us strength, give, give us the ability to endure those things, that his Holy Spirit might do the work, the deeper work, the more important work that is necessary in our lives. And, and, and it's in that uncertainty of us not knowing maybe 
how to face the circumstance that we can just rest in God. Like David, we can wait silently and trust that while we don't know the solution, while we have no escape from the circumstances, that God is trustworthy. He is our rock. There's a, a painting, and I, I didn't see it myself, but I, I read about it. And it was a painting of a, a mountain cabin, and the cabin had burnt down. So all that was left was the chimney. So obviously the family, the cabin had burnt down, so the family lost everything. And standing out in front of that cabin was an old grandfather in his long underwear and his grandson clutching onto his uh, mended overalls. And obviously the little boy was crying. And the caption of the painting was the comment that the grandfather made to his grandson. And this is what it said. It says, hush child, God ain't dead. Hush child, God ain't dead. You know, we might look at that picture and see that as a picture of great despair. But we might also be reminded of the hope that is ours even in difficult circumstances. And brothers and sisters, I, I think we easily forget how great our God is and the great love and compassion and mercy that he has for his children. And while he takes us through deep waters, he does so with great love. And I, I think how awesome it is that our God has placed in the songbook of scripture and the Psalms, a song that we could sing and, and, and be reminded of God's wonderful hope in the midst of difficulties. Because when we go through these things, we are tempted either to despair or to seek security in God and maybe something else. But brothers and sisters, Psalm 62 is a reminder that God only is our hope. Will we rest in him alone today? Please bow with me if you would.